I receive press releases from certain people that I automatically open because I know that they're going to, like one organization, whatever happens with the legislation that they're pushing, when it reaches certain milestones, they're going to send me a press release mm. with the number. And there are a few times where I call the person up and I'm like, hey, what's happening? And it doesn't turn out to be a story, but I wouldn't have been so on it had I not received that press release. This is the first episode of season three of the Blueprint for California Advocates podcast. I'm your host, Christina Boss Hamilton. Welcome. A belated Happy New Year's to you. The legislature reconvened in Sacramento on January 4th, and we are at the brand spanking beginning of a new two-year legislative session. I'm really happy to share with you today a fabulous conversation that I had with Veranda Lyons, a national award-winning investigative reporter for esteemed publication Cal Matters. We know as advocates that our job is to create external and internal pressure on the governor, on the legislature to pass the laws and create the investments that we're seeking. A fundamental part of that process is the external communications that is earned media and placement in publications throughout California and nationally to get our message across, to tell the stories of our constituents. I'm so happy that Veranda graciously took time to share an inside view from the perspective of a Capitol Press Corps reporter receiving pitches from advocates and outside organizations, how to pierce through the thick wall of noise when it comes to getting the attention of a member of the press. I got a lot of valuable insight out of our conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it just as much as I did. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That would be super helpful to get the word out about podcasts and make sure that it's heard by as many advocates in our great state as possible. Thank you. Rhonda Lyons, I am so pleased that you're here with me today on the Blueprint for California Advocates podcast. I am a big fan of your work, and I thank you for taking your time to be here. I would love if you did a brief introduction of who you are and what you're doing now. Yes. So I am Rhonda Lyons, and I am currently an investigative reporter with Cal Matters. That's a recent change that I was covering prisons and courts. And before that, I was doing more video for Cal Matters. And prior to that, I was freelancing a bit. I worked with the St. Quentin News. I've worked for the federal government in Bozeman, Montana for a while, and also in Sacramento. And I'm originally from Arkansas, moved out to California to go to journalism school at Cal. And the rest is history. I should say Cal Matters is like one of my go-to publications for pretty much everything policy and politics related. So very big fan of Cal Matters. And I always point people in that direction. I love that you worked for a stint at San Quentin News because the first podcast I ever fell in love with that actually made me even become a listener of podcasts was Your Hustle. The um, podcast produced by inmates at the San Quentin prison. So 
it just like when I read that in your bio, I was immediately like, oh, I'm so intrigued by that because of that connection. I don't want to say transformed my thinking on criminal justice, but it hit me in a way that like moved me and like really inspired me to be more active on criminal justice issues. So I think lending your expertise to bring those voices to the public is just really brilliant. I really enjoy my stint with the San Quentin News. I work with them mostly on writing stories. What was interesting is with the newspaper, just because of the restrictions, communication restrictions at the time, I'd spend a lot of time reading papers and dissertations and things about the different changes in thinking around criminal justice. Prisoners would write about those issues. And mm. sometimes I would have to help conduct interviews for them. And it was an interesting window into how important journalism is. Mm. as a skill set for yeah. community. So yes. for this individual community, this this community that's incarcerated, the San Quentin yeah. News was the go-to. And yeah. not yeah. only was it a way for people to learn about journalism, but it was a way for people to feel sort of connected with the information that was happening inside and outside of, of the prison. It ties in really well with why I invited you to come to talk today is just this concept of storytelling and communities being able to elevate their stories and to get the broader public to understand what's going on at the real life level. My advice to organizations is always lead with a story of what is happening and why, because of what's happening, changes are necessary. So the challenge, I think, to advocates is how do you get your voice out there and expose it to a broader audience beyond your community? And so I would love if you share your inside knowledge and insight into how, as a member of the press, you make that decision on which stories you are going to elevate and how advocates can just do a better job to be more effective to get attention to what's going on? Yes, this has been an interesting question. I think from my perspective, there are always a million things, and most journalists will tell you, a million things coming at you. And I've had advocates who reach out to me for stories. There are times where I'm looking at a particular bill and I see who's supporting it and who's against it. And one of the challenges that we face as reporters or one that I've faced is trying to figure out who's doing what. A lot of times in California, there are advocacy organizations and California is one of the places where advocates have been very successful in pushing their priorities past through the legislature. But a lot of times for me, it can be hard to unwind who's doing what, what organization is for this, mm. are they for it. I mean, they sign up on the supporters and people who are opposing a bill, but when you lift up the hood, trying yeah. to figure out why people are supporting what or mm -hmm. how vocal are they? Did they just sign their name on this right. or is this something that they're pushing? And oftentimes right. that becomes a challenge and it takes up a lot of time trying mm -hmm. to figure out 
who's doing what, why, and who's going to be the best person for me to contact to possibly write a story about this and to push this conversation forward. That is fabulous to point out because I'll tell you from my perspective as an advocate, it used to be that we would just draft press releases and send them out, right, to whatever list exists out there. But then it is like, well, nobody does that anymore because it just really goes onto a pile and reporters are so overwhelmed with everything else they're not looking at. Just some generic press release, which to me is how you would be saying, this is our big priority. Here's who you talk to. Here's the main contacts with whatever. So clearly I'm not right on that. If it's a challenge to figure out who is at the heart of the campaign, then the campaign needs to be doing something better to make that information obvious, right? Yes, but I'm not sure if emails are, for me, when mm-hmm. I get an email and I look at the headline, I'm like, okay, this is something I'm interested in. I always look at the headline, at least. Mm-hmm. I don't just click and delete everything, but I definitely... Mean, okay, so one. you mean the subject line? The subject headline. Got yeah, it. Okay. Headline. Okay. So, okay, I'm, like, I'm thinking, okay, justice, new bill, this sort of keywords, and I'll say, okay, this is something worth reading but sometimes I get things that are not in my wheelhouse (laughs) and I'm like yeah I'm not the right person but one of the challenges I think is because there are so many advocacy groups that operate in the same space and that becomes the challenge of like okay who's leading this who's Mm -hmm. actually spearheading this and for example I I will try to contact them they might respond with email or maybe not, or Mm. I'll just reach out to my colleague and say, back when Laurel used to work for Cal Matters, I would reach out to her a lot back when I was really learning and say, hey, Laurel, I see this. And she'll say, oh, that's so-and-so, so-and-so. But that was institutional knowledge that she had. I just had to learn myself. Now I'm I'm confident, but that was a challenge for me. Who's doing what? And who do I contact? I'm so happy you said that because that's the type of thing that people on the advocacy side would, ne- would never know. We'll just assume all of this is obvious and you should just know I'm the person to call. And like, no, actually, I wouldn't know that. But it kind of goes back to something that I've advised organizations in general to do, which is to proactively reach out to reporters on the beat of your issue and say, hey, we're here. <laughs> this is who we are. We just want to introduce ourselves and start a relationship with you. And that's just not something that I think people automatically do. When I started this beat, I reached out to some advocacy groups and PR professionals and committees and things like that and developed sources. But it's kind of hard because when I started this, this was what, 2020, when everyone was knocking down the door for Mm. justice-related issues because Mm. of Mm. George Floyd and all those things that happened. So you you had this legislative push, you had people talking about these issues and what have you. And I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose on information or good stories or whatever. Yeah. And then last year, for instance, there wasn't a lot of movement on the justice front. Um, And I found myself sort of scraping trying to find story ideas And there were some that got by me. There were some that I missed and there were some that I did. But 
when you don't have those proactive relationships, it's hard to know who to turn, turn to when you're looking for stories, story ideas. I spend a lot of time just like paying attention to committee yeah. hearings and yeah. trying to see what's coming out, what yeah. legislation is being introduced. Yeah. Actively thinking about the issues. Because one of the things that journalists like to do is we like to break news, right? We like mm-hmm. to think of stories that no one is reporting yet that are going to affect some sort of change for the better of society. If an advocate or a public relations person, they don't have any legislation that they're pushing, but this Mm -hmm. is an issue, right? Reporters want to know about that because Mm -hmm. even though there may not be any legislation, there may Mm -hmm. be a good story there that could Mm -hmm. affect some sort of change or hold people accountable. And so not necessarily thinking about storytelling in terms of a legislative session, but in terms of things that need to be addressed mm. that haven't been addressed. I'm getting so much out of what you're saying, and I want to hit a couple of points. So one of the little nuggets I got from you was the importance of a very good email subject line. because. We all know this, right? If your email inbox is 1,500, 100 emails deep, skimming, right? It's the same exact thing with legislators and their staff. How on earth you capture someone's attention? You have one line that they're looking at. What would you recommend is like, don't put this in there. This is unnecessary. Put this in there. Or is there not a formula? Names of organizations or even member names. That doesn't draw me unless it's something like a member who's in trouble or something like that, for example. Draws my eye. Our verbs are clear. Story. (laughs) Story idea. Not reported story. Unreported story. Oh, cool. Uh, Something like that, that I'm going to perk up a little bit because then I feel like, okay, this may be a story that everyone else has not received, right? This is different from a news release where it goes this to me. This, this is, is tailored great. towards me or something like that. I like that a lot. Thank you for that. And <clears throat> the other thing that I'm getting from listening to you is the value of relationship building. So advocates typically think about building relationships with legislators. But over the last several years, started to realize, oh, you actually really need to spend some time building relationships with people who cover your stories. Advocacy 101. You don't show up the day of the vote and ask the lawmaker to vote a certain way and think that they're just going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm with you, right? you got to plant that seed. You've got to do your prep time. You've got to, like, drill that message over and over and over. They need to know who you are. They need to have at least heard of you. Same concept I'm hearing with reporting. And you don't fall out of the sky and immediately, oh, you're going to be the front page story. Yes. And from my experience, I have people that I'll reach out to, hey, this is happening. And they're pretty responsive. But those relationships are relationships that I've actively tried to work at building. But it's hard. It's really challenging to figure out how to build relationships. And keeping those lines of communication open is also, it's work. It's taking time out of your 
your schedule every yeah. week to reach yeah. out to sources and say, hey, how are things going? And that's a learned behavior. I can't count the number of times where an advocate or a possible source has reached out to me and said, hey, I read your story. I like it. I just want to grab coffee. I'm like, okay, sure. You know, oftentimes I'm trying to proactively do that. Oh, um, so, so they shouldn't be doing that. Yes. I mean, it's part of developing relationships and learning. Yeah, make it easier on you to find them versus it all being on you to find them, basically. It has to be a two-way street. And for some people, they may have those resources um, or develop those sources over time who feel right. more comfortable. But it's definitely something that has to work in direction. Create genuine connections with your biggest supporters using text. Subtext is an award-winning texting platform that connects hosts with subscribers free from the chaos of social media and the clutter of email. Learn more by going to joinsubtext.com. So how would an organization, again, not a big, well-financed group, how would they like find out who's on the beat in the different newspapers? How could they put their list together? What's the easiest way to do that? I subscribe to newsletters around Sacramento. You have What Matters, you have Politico Pro, you have California Today. You have all these newsletters that give you the scoop on what's happening this week or this month or today. Those reports will help inform who you should contact and who's who in, in the press. The Sacramento Press Club, they often have events. That's one place to go. Oh, um, just going to say the press club is such an under-recognized value for advocates. Full disclaimer, I'm a board member, so. Yeah, um, full disclaimer, I am a member. <laughs> so that's one way to get involved. So as you're reading stories that pertain to you, I would just create a, an Excel file of that list. Let me reach out to the person. Even sending a note. I know for me, sometimes you feel like, I'm doing all this work. Is anyone reading it? <laughs> oh, yes. You know, even if you're sending a note and saying, and I'm sure reporters would appreciate it. Hey, I read your story. I didn't agree okay. with it, but I read it. I agree <laughs> with it. Or, yeah, you did a great job. Good analysis, whatever. Yeah. Or to complain to know people are reading. As you're talking, it's just reinforcing to me how similar all of this is to lobbying the legislature. It's the same concept of proactively putting yourself out there so people know you exist, what you do, what you're about, doing it consistently so you're not some unknown entity, and the value of putting the work in to build a relationship. That is almost a part-time job. Like, at least for me, it is. It's like a full-time job. I mean, yeah. trying yeah. to be the person where people think of something they call you. So, and then along with that, to me, what I would even say a best practice is if an organization is really at that level, like almost trying to position themselves as the go-to source on this issue, right? Like it is known that if you want to take on Diablo Canyon or any and their wildfires, whatever the issue is, right? Those are the people you want to talk to this person. Becoming that thought leader and establishing yourself so that the world knows to come to you. One thing I would also note is I've received, I'm going back a little bit, but 
I receive press releases from certain people that I automatically open because I know that they're going to, like one organization, whatever happens with the legislation that they're pushing, when it reaches certain milestones, they're going to send me a press release mm. with the number. And there are a few times where I call the person up and I'm like, hey, what's happening? And it doesn't turn out to be a story, but I wouldn't have been so on it had I not received that press release. And the person is so consistent for those. Mm-hmm. I know that some people are getting away from press releases. I value them when it's about things that pertain to me. I don't value a press release about sort of, I don't know, the Emmy Awards or the Grammys, because I don't right. cover them. Right. I do value a press release when we're talking about legislation that involves prisons or if right. there's going to be some discontent on a particular bill or something like that. I value that because that's something I want to pay attention to. So the press release really should have, be targeted to a very specific list of people. <laughs> Unless it's some to just throw yeah. it out there. When it's, when it's a specific issue, yeah, it might only go to 10 people, but you might get one story or two stories out of that. Or no stories, depending. But yeah. being specific and targeted because yeah. reporters are looking to be in the loop yeah. without having to do all the extra on the other side. So establishing yourself or an organization as a thought leader, establishing itself as a source, as a go-to on an issue. Email clearly is a mainstay of communication. I have found social media has a really big role here too, right? Like this isn't just puppy videos and funny memes, just your presence consistently on social media, adding value into this issue area. If I saw that person's name over and over again, and then I get a press release from them, I'm thinking, oh, this person is legit, right? Right. I'm going to open this up and take a look. It's not something everybody does or, or doesn't necessarily know how to do that well. What do you think about that? I could agree with you on that. I'm really, I was an early adopter of social media. Personally, I don't use my Twitter page necessarily for journalism. I'll watch your videos on TikTok. I find myself looking on LinkedIn more. I see things on Twitter, but unless there's a thread, it's a challenge for me to understand what's going on or what voice is saying what or who's for it. Sometimes it's challenging. Unless it's like uh, when people are live tweeting something that might yeah. work. Yeah. If they hashtag the bill and there's a conversation happening, that is helpful typically. Okay. But oftentimes, okay. and this may get to your point about social media messaging and people not using it. Oftentimes on bills, even popular bills, from the justice standpoint, there are only a few people tweeting about it or right. to deal what's happening. The right. other I find is that on Twitter, it, I'm over it. It's kind of, I like it. <laughs> oh my God, that should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> From a journalistic standpoint, lobbyists are on Twitter and they're doing their, their thing on Twitter. Sources like people who are impacted by issues, typically on Facebook, find stories on TikTok. I, sometimes I find things on Instagram, Reddit is actually a a great source for me. These audiences, and it may be the way that my 
Twitter, the algorithm is works for me, but right. these audiences are so specific yeah. to the kind of thing that I'm looking for. So if you send me a press release for a story and I want to find someone who's impacted by it, I would likely not use Twitter to find that. I would yeah. use Reddit or Facebook or something like that. Interesting. So I do want to compliment you on your TikTok. A, I love that you're on it because I feel like there's still that like hesitation among professionals that like, ah, TikTok, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, the world is on TikTok. And and as a professional, you can do a whole bunch of really amazing information sharing there. Yeah, I love it. I've never seen anyone. So, for example, yours, which is like the perspective of a journalist. I love it because I learned from you like, oh, I had no idea. It was- I try to poke fun at journalism and journalists in a way that educates the public on what it's really like, but also in a way that sort of deflates us a little bit from the whole Twitter grandstanding that mm-hmm. happens. I want people to be, I want people to feel like I'm accessible. And so I spend a lot of time on TikTok. I, I also think that it's really a good communication tool. And that's where people get a lot of information. It's where people get a lot of bad information, disinformation, yeah. disinformation. And so I try to use it in a way to contribute to the quality of the content there. Okay, so what is your TikTok handle? So boys can find My TikTok handle now is I love public records. I like that. Very unique. Yeah, follow me on TikTok. I agree. I think TikTok is a wealth of information. And if you're not, as an advocate, putting some effort to using it to tell your story, that you're missing an opportunity. And even from a professional perspective, like I love that you are trying to explain the behind the scenes on journalism I try to do that with like political style. I find your TikToks to be very interesting because I've learned from you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I sent me something who's not in Sacramento, not interested. I'm like, I know her. I love it. I love it. So one of the things that I kind of like someone taught me and I just I repeated to myself is like, just because it makes sense to me. And it seems obvious to me. Does not mean it makes sense or is obvious to anybody else, right? I feel that way, even as a journalist, right? I can remember when I was writing a story about ACA3 and I was trying to figure out what rules that bill was governed by because it was a amendment to the Constitution and it would have gone before voters and the rules that were governing it were a lot different from what typically governs bills. And I couldn't find that answer anywhere. I contacted all kinds of people. And eventually I was able to get in contact with someone who was working on the bill and they were helpful. But things like that, creating a space where people can ask these questions and learn about the ins and the outs and the maneuvering that happens in the legislature, I think are critical to educating the public. And when I'm trying to write about it, trying to explain how these things work, it's a challenge. Advocates being more active on social media, explaining some of these things. Right, right. So-and-so, so-and-so voted for this bill or so-and-so. Okay, but 
what is it about? What's the important part that we need to know? Or even just educating on the issue in general. Yeah. Like, those are the things that I think yeah. can, can really change the conversation so yeah. that it's not just report on my story as much as it is contributing to the better understanding and education of all of us collectively. Thank you for that. I love everything that you're saying because it validates some of my own thinking around the importance of spending time doing that. Even just this podcast, people are like, why do you do the podcast? Because people don't understand how their government works and they don't understand how to be successful in making their government do what they want it to do for them. We're all running around the Capitol thinking, well, obviously, this is how you introduce legislation, and this is obviously how you lobby votes, but our civics education, it's really poor in this country. 99.9% of people do not know any of those things. No, and it's on us from a journalistic standpoint to educate people about what's working, what's not working, but if people don't understand how they can make it work better, what does anyone care? Thank you for that. Putting yourself out there on social media is kind of scary. It is scary. That's why I keep it light. Try not to be drawn into, which is hard as a journalist, into the negative of it. So that's one reason why I try to keep it really light. Now, if you want to go really heavy, you can read my work. <laughs> I try to keep a balance there reading a lot about the attacks online that women journalists get, the real vicious, like, trolling and just outright threats of violence. And you're just being super cognizant of that. As a journalist now, which is so messed up, like, that's controversial. And and again, I want to recognize that, too. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the reality of anybody in journalism space political space right now, you can become a punching bag for people, or maybe they aren't even really people. Maybe they're robots. That side of it can be very negative. I don't have a million people following me. I guess if I did, then I would be in a different situation. But I am always aware. Uh, I did a TikTok months ago, and I did it outside, but there were some markers that if you look closely enough, you might be able to tell where I live. So mm-hmm. I had to redo the video because I don't mm-hmm. want you to know what street I'm on. Right. Now, it's exactly. all public information, but I yeah. won't work for that. Exactly. Oh my God, exactly. This is a crazy time that we're in. Okay, so thank you. I want to be respectful of your time. You have Ooh. dropped so much knowledge and so much value that I'm like, cannot wait to put this episode out. Um, haven't done one yet on press and media and attracting attention. This is just super awesome. And you, you are my breaking news, Veranda. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate you thinking of me. And this has been a great conversation. I've learned something about myself. I love it. Well, thank you again. And if folks want to find you on Twitter, or do you want to share any contact info? My contact is Baronda Lyons on Twitter. I love public records on Instagram and TikTok. Again, thank you, Baronda, and I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. If you're finding this show to be valuable, please go ahead, hit that subscribe button. 
share episodes with your networks and send me your feedback. I really appreciate that. I will link to my socials in the show notes. I also welcome you to sign up for my brand new free email newsletter that will also be linked in the show notes. Thank you very much. And I will talk with you soon.